Hey, hey, what's going on? Welcome to another episode of Angular Air. I'm your host, Justin Schwarzenberger, and today we are going to be talking flex layout stuff. So let's uh, get into it. Uh, our panelists today, we have Austin McDaniel joining us. Austin, what's going on? How's it going, everyone? Happy Friday. <laughs> yeah, we got our, our Friday show today. We had to adjust things a little bit to get everybody on here, but no problem. We're flexible. Uh, and our guest today is Thomas. Thomas, how's it going? Hey, Justin, how are you? You know, I'm, I think I'm the one, the culprit of why we don't have more panelists available because you adjusted time for me. Thank you. Not a problem. Not a problem. Thank you for making the time to come on. We appreciate it. Hey, we're going to do whatever we need to do to accommodate our guests to share their time because it's all about you guys. So I really appreciate it. Awesome. So Thomas, why don't you tell us a little about yourself uh, for our viewers who may not know you. We know you, but let film in on what you do and stuff. Sure. Hi, everybody. I'm Thomas Burleson. I'm the uh, team lead for AngularJS Material, and I'm the architect for Angular slash Flex Layout. Um, some of you have probably seen me at the ng-comps or Angular Connect presenting. I'm also involved in the uh, Angular Material workshops for Angular, or excuse me, Material 1 and even for Material 2. And I'm an instructor at ThoughtRAM, where we teach Angular for, uh, it's up to now, a four-day course for Angular using Redux and everything else. So I have my hands on a whole bunch of pies, and it's really an honor to be here and talk to everyone about Flex Layout. Awesome. We definitely appreciate you coming on. Um, so Flex Layout, uh, let's get into kind of what that is, right? Where This is a, um, a package that's available as part of the Angular main packages, right? So it's a scope package off of that. Is that correct? That's correct. There was actually some debate at one point whether or not the Angular the Angular team wanted Flex Layout as one of the core repositories or have it as a periphery repository. And it really was it was fitting in so nicely with this whole issue of responsiveness and um, triggering logic and even layout changes for media query changes that there was a decision, let's bring it in, let's own it. Let let have the Angular team own it, and let's really deliver something that works well. Cool. And so I think there's a, there's an interesting story on why we would need this, like what it's doing, right? And we'll get into that. Um, but that, maybe let's first talk about uh, what were we talking about with Flex? Like like what is it that we're addressing? Well, first, like what is what is Flex layout first? Like yeah. sure. So for those who so we to answer what Flex layout is, there's a bit of history, and but the and I won't make it a long one. If we just go back to the basics of, we have HTML elements on a, on a page. And we have two challenges when we're doing layouts in HTML pages. One is, how do we get the elements to lay out with respect to each other in a nice fashion? How do we get them to lay out in containers that are in other containers? How do we get them to adjust their sizes? So that's one consideration. And then the other one is, how do we get these layouts now that look really nice on desktop, how do we get them to adjust and look even just as nice on a mobile device because maybe some of those elements are no longer visible. Maybe they're shifted in different orders. So these are the things that you can address with something called media queries in CSS. The problem with that is that media queries, uh, you have to, you very quickly have to become a CSS expert. Hey, Justin, you want me to share a screen and I'll show you something on some of this? Heck yeah, heck yeah, definitely. Awesome. All right. Should I, uh, not the chat? 
I think all JavaScript de developers love CSS, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, the reality is once you start really getting into Angular and you start using any sort of UI, you very quickly start doing things with CSS because there's some um, areas where it just makes sense to use CSS. The problem is when you start doing more sophisticated things, there's a, you, you almost have to become a CSS expert. Uh, so what we're can everyone see my screen here? Yep. What we're looking at here is uh, media queries, just a couple samples of media queries. So this, if you were going to write a media query, what you would be, you'd have to do is in your CSS style sheet, you'd have to use the at media. And in this case, the top one says, hey, for the media of a screen, regardless of the size, if, I, if I'm displaying the body of the HTML page on the screen, the width should be 75%. But if I'm printing it, then the width should be 100%. So that's pretty easy, right? Or we have two simple little media queries. We can define them in uh, CSS. And then, now, of course, you have to load that into the HTML page. Now, down below, there's a one that's even a little bit more sophisticated, which says for any type of device, what any type of orientation, whether you're printing or on screen, if you have a max width of se almost 700 pixels, or you're uh, and you're so if you're larger than a small mobile, but smaller than a, a tablet, I believe I'd have to look at those sizes. So you can see that there's these ands, and then there's some commas, and there so it gets a little bit more complex. And here's where we're defining the background color that we want to be in this scenar these scenarios. So media queries give us a lot of power, but it requires us to become very familiar with CSS. And it requires us to have a whole bunch of options uh, for our media query options. And, and that didn't really make sense, right? Because for, Java, for Angular developers, we're working with JavaScript code, and we're working with components. And when we started using uh, and developing AngularJS material, this is essentially material one, right? We wanted to develop, to deliver a UI framework that had UI components, it had theming features, and it also had layout. Now, in hindsight, that was a mistake to include layout within uh, AngularJS material, because material two, for example, isn't really including a layout library, which is, there's a good reasons for that, but material two has theming and UI components. So we learned lessons from material one going to material two. However, with material one, when we were looking at um, Flexbox and, and um, and how we would provide these types of features, right? Where we want to use, so let me back up because I've said two things. One was this whole idea of media queries, which really allows us to define styles based on viewport size or even viewport orientation, right? So that doesn't have anything to do with Flexbox itself. It has to do with um, um, or uh, uh, devices, et cetera. So where does Flexbox come into play then? Well, Flexbox has this idea here. Um, I'm in media query tricks. Let's just go here to Flexbox as an example. So if we look at now Flexbox, this is some other CSS styles. For example, you can say that a, a, a component, a div that might have this class of container will dis use a display of flex which will mean that its children items are supposed to be flexible in their layout. And then you have other attributes. You can say, I want to define the flex direction, right? So do, do items flow from left to right 
or from right to left, or top to bottom, or bottom to top. And you might have order options right here. So you might even have grow options. So how do you want the flexible, these items as in the children, these child items in a container, how do you want them to grow or shrink as the container grows and shrinks? And in this case, you can see on the first one here, can you guys see my mouse? Yeah, it's a little small, but you can kind of see it. Okay, so my mouse is right here on this right row here where we're saying one, one, one. So we have three children elements, and they're all sized similarly, the same size within the container. So 33.3% essentially. However, the second one is one, two, one, and we're saying that the middle child item needs to be twice the width, in this case, of the other two children. And... Um, and you can have variations of that. We have flex wrap, we have flex shrink, flex basis, justify content. And I'm sure you're starting to get the sense now like, oh my God, right? This is, and if you don't, if you aren't, you should definitely having your hair stand up that, oh my God, do I have to actually learn all this? And do I have to actually create these for every sing and specify these and how they're different between different media queries? I think the biggest thing for me is when I look at Flexbox stuff, you Google Flexbox, there's like a thousand tutorials of how to use Flexbox yeah. and, and, and things like that. And so when I, I'm like looking at these things and it's, you know, as a JavaScript developer, it's, it's tricky to kind of understand all these properties and how that plays in together with your content. Oh, absolutely. And in fact, as soon as you start getting into real world applications, you, you really have to become a flex. If you're using the CSS, you have to become a Flexbox expert, right? Because it, when it doesn't work, then you're going to have to figure out the workarounds and the, the browser hacks. And even if you don't need a browser hack, you have to figure out how to get it to actually respond the way you want and what are the properties and how they should nest. And then once you get it working for desktop and you decide you want changes for like a uh, for a mobile device, you want it to be different, you almost feel like you have to reinvent it all over again, right? New style sheets with new media queries. And it gets gets really nasty. So, so now on the flex okay. thing real quick. Mm -hmm. So you know it's called flex and we're talking, we're, we're checking it out here and, and we're kind of getting the idea that it's gonna allow us to adjust, right? Things can adjust. And especially when you're talking about media queries, now we're like, okay, how's this thing gonna flow and, and adjust as, as that changes? Um, would we be doing it wrong if we also use flex just for like solid layout pieces, like say vertically centering something um, that maybe is not going to grow with media queries, but just helps us lay out things? I mean, is that a use for flex as well? That's a great question. And, and the answer is yes. Uh, uh, Flexbox. So this is the, the subset of CSS styles that you can provide that all browse, all evergreen browsers now support uh, is very is actually a great tool to use for layouts without any consideration for responsiveness, like for different devices. So if you just want to lay it out and have it resize and adjust and, and flow as the browser window in general resizes, you can use, and you should use Flexbox, right? It's, I, it's in my opinion, the best choice for having flexible um, HTML layouts. It's, There's, go ahead. It's so much more advanced than you know, if you weren't going to use Flexbox uh, for whatever reason, you would have to use floats and all these different widths, and and it it just gets out of control really easily, quickly, and and Flexbox just allows you to just take that. Not only can you solve all of those problems, but you can solve even more, so much easier as well. 
Yes. Now, there's something on the horizon that I'm really excited about, and it's called constraint-based CSS, uh, which is something that came out of um, the Apple uh, SDK a while back. And um, this was this whole idea of how you can have elements have sizing constraints based on their children, like their, their relationships of their top edge to the parent or to another child. That's not really supported for evergreen browsers. It's sort of a cutting edge feature. And uh, the most versatile uh, choice you have right now is Flexbox for doing layouts. If you try to do it with tables, uh, first off, tables are basically bird poop all over your, H your HTML. Tables can be really nasty, right? Tables can be nice if you have just a couple things. But as soon as you start doing things like trying to nest a table within a table, it becomes a nightmare. And with Flexbox, you have, it's so much easier to specify these things. Now, with the CSS, again, you might say, okay, well, then maybe it's worthwhile for me to learn um, and become a CSS expert for Flexbox. If you're just a JavaScript developer without using Angular, then that's probably your only choice. If you're using Angular, and especially if you're, if you're using Angular with Material 1, then we have a sort of a crude um, layout system. Let me oh, go to that um, GitHub. Okay. And in fact, let's just go to the doc. Um, yeah, here we go. So if you go to our docs, which is material.angularjs.org, you can click on, I, I recommend just clicking on head, that way you get the most recent stuff. But you can see this whole idea of what are layouts using Flexbox. And the, the idea here in Material 1 was that let's have something that looks like a directive and you can specify values as part of that directive, right? So it looks like an attribute, but it gets compiled as a directive, gets recognized as a directive, and then the value assigned to that attribute gets used somehow. And perhaps that value is an expression and that can be used. And what we did in Material 1 was we then had some directives that then take the value or the expression you've given it, and we will convert that to a class name. Now, where does all that come from? Well, we'll come back to responsiveness in a moment, okay? So what we did was we said, all right, so we're going to have a, lay a layout attribute and a flex attribute or a directive, and you can have these values. And under the hood, it would do is it would convert it to a class name and, and just add that class name to that element as, as a class name item for that element. And then we had a style sheet that had all, all these hard-coded class names that you could use that had predefined C, uh, Flexbox CSS. You can probably start getting a hint of what the problem was with that, which was you can't define predefined CSS for every single combination. It's just not possible. And even the ones that we did, it was like 270K of CSS style sheets just for Flexbox. So it was a monster. Uh, yet it had a lot of power, right? So we had this idea that you could have containers, right? You could, you could flow uh, this this column here, or if you can see my mouse, is the items are flowing left to right. So this whole row here is flowing left to right. But this, this particular element has two child elements in it that are flowing also left to right. And this element has two child elements that are flowing top to bottom. So you get, you can start seeing how you can do some nestings. 
the you could have children here and you could specify some you know that you want okay this this item here I want this item to, to flex its size this child item to be 30% of the available width of the container and this one would be 45% of the available width and this one would be 25% example up here this one is 70% of the available width and you just have to put this attribute on here and it would just work However, it was still limited where this is AngularJS material and it was still limited. So now let's talk about um, flex layout for Angular or, and I liked, um, I shouldn't say that, but for Angular 4 and Angular 5 coming up. So we have a repository now for this called Angular slash flex layout. And there's some descriptions here. There's some quick links. We, there's a whole there's a whole wiki on this here. So if you click on the wiki, you can see a description of the static API, the responsive API. Here's a great diagram that shows a little bit what we're talking about. This yellow div area here is a container that will has set its display mode to flex, which means that the children will um, have their their sizes can adjust according in a flexible manner according to the parent. And if we say that the layout direction is horizontal or um, row, then the items will be laid out left to right fashion. And there's this idea of main axis and cross axis when you start dealing with Flexbox. And this is another one of these things where you have to become um, a, a CSS expert. Angular Flex Layout means, using Angular Flex Layout means you don't have to be a flex, uh, CSS expert anymore. You don't have to write it as CSS. You don't have to understand what the cross axis is or the main axis. It's a much more intuitive API. So let's talk about the static API. So we have these directives, FX layout, and you can say equals, and you can say I want it to, it's going to be equal to row. That means this container has a layout that's going to lay out its children in a row fashion or a column or row reverse or column reverse. And then we have this layout align. And I'll show you what that means in just a moment. We have this gap, which says, should there be a gap between the children elements? Then for the child elements, we have FX. Oops, sorry. Didn't mean to do that. We have FX flex. Notice we have the namespace FX. So this says this is part of the Angular flex layout library. And we have flex order, flex offset, flex align, flex fill. We also have some other really cool items, which is um, hide, show, so you can specify an item that should be hidden based on an expression. It should be shown based on expression. You can use ng class and you can you have ng style where we already have those as part of core. How um, these have been extended within flex layout to um, be responsive. So all the standard features that we had in core for ng class and ng style are still there, but we have now responsive features. So before I start talking about responsive, let's take a look at the de a demo. Oops. Can I ask a question about that too? Be my guest, please uh, jump in. Okay, so uh, so you've got this API, right, that I'm gonna put in line in my markup um, to do the flex type of stuff. And you're probably gonna show that here in a second here, right? Yes. I'm assuming like, like if I step back and said, okay, I'm not using flex 
dash layout uh, library. And I'm writing all the flex myself. I've taken Dave Geddes's awesome Flexbox Zombies course. I've mastered it. I'm, I'm good at it, right? I'm ready to write my own CSS. Um, and I'm probably going to do that within the CSS or SAS or SCSS file for my component, or maybe even at a global scope that I can share a class that, that's going to be used that can apply my flex layout to multiple elements, right? Um, is that something that, like, in evaluating using flex layout, that I should kind of consider when I really get down to it and saying, like, is it is there any efficiencies of me doing it and hand rolling that versus this that I need to be aware of, or am I kind of you you guys kind of taking care of a lot of that 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 like the underlying CSS that it's going to create is going to be efficient, especially when I like apply the same kind of flex layout to multiple elements within a component or across components. Does that make sense? Yes. So when you start thinking about writing your handcrafted Flexbox CSS, I would challenge you with saying, why? Now, there is a scenario where you, you want to do that. If you have a table with a large number of rows, 500, 1,000 rows, um, and maybe... Well, first off, it would be bad, right? I mean, we've learned lessons with material that you want a virtual repeat or something like that. But we still have people saying, oh, I'm trying to show 500 items. And instead of saying, why the hell are you trying to do that? You should be showing maybe 20 or 30 and then scrolling. We, we then say, well, if you still insist on showing that many elements or rows on, on a, in a page all at once, if you're using flex layout, the uh, the angular flex layout there's a performance hit right initially for initial render because what flex layout does is it calculates the flexbox css that it needs to apply and it applies it in line to each dom element it doesn't generate any style sheets it doesn't you know um doesn't do any of that stuff it puts it right in line which means that it's very specific it has the highest order of specificity in, in that sense. So it means then that it's very, when you specify an FX a flex layout directive, you're almost assured that it's gonna be used. It won't be blocked by CSS inheritance or specificity issues. But since we're applying it in line, that means um, if you're, these directives are running for thousands of elements, you could have an initial rendering um, slight, uh, hiccup or delay. So what we recommend in that case is do use CSS for that specific table, and maybe it's elements, but um, in everywhere else, use flex layout, because why, why suffer the pain when you can let this library handle it all for you? Cool. Well, yeah, that's what I was uh, looking for. So awesome. And then I, I'm excited because we're going to hear more about like the other power that it opens up, I think, which is like programmatically be able to make decisions right on the fly. Correct. Stuff, Correct. Awesome, so. Correct. Another so, thing, go ahead. Well, I was going to say another thing before we get started, there's a variety of different um, CSS like libraries out there that kind of do what you guys started to do in, uh, in Angular one with different CSS styles. And mm -hmm. instead of, you know, having like a directive or whatever, you just apply those styles on the element and you, you kind of get, some of these out of the box, like layout algorithms that you want. But Correct. like you were saying, you know, what would be, you know, would I want to use one of those and what would, you know, flex layout give me over that? Well, there's one, for example, uh, bootstrap, right? Has a CSS grid, they call it. 
And that's under the hood using Flexbox. Uh, but it still it sort of has the developer, it forces them to view their page layout in a grid fashion. And I've tried to tell developers that when I look at a page layout, I don't look at it as grid at all. I look at it as areas that are flowing left to right or top to bottom. And then, and those could be nested. They could have nested areas that flow left to right or top to bottom. And uh, in fact, you can see it here, like this area here is flowing left to right. And then this area here is flowing top to bottom. And so I can, I mentally break these, these sections on my page up into these flow directions. And then I identify what gaps I want and all that. And then Flex Layout just does all the work for me, right, with the directives. So to give you an example for that, here is, and you can see this markup right here. Can you guys see this all right? Should yeah, I increase, sure. increase the page size here maybe? So here oh, is, okay. okay. Is that good, Austin? Yep, that's good. So here we have a flex layout in row, but I could change it to column. And now you'll, and this just, this maps to the HTML that's actually used under the hood. I could inspect it and show it to you. And I, I will in just a second. Uh, so let's go back to row. And if I want to inspect this page, just for you guys to see it, here is my container. Notice the style right there. Height 100%, box size. So it already sets the box sizing. It sets the display to flex, remember, because it's, and then the flex direction to row, because we said layout in the row fashion for the children. And then we had space around and align items and all these other things. So these are handled um, by the directives and they put them right in line. Remember I said they just apply it right in line? If I come back here and I change it to column, we're going to see now that the column here or the flex direction has changed to column. And it happens on the fly, right? So it's using data binding and um, change detection and a few other things. So here, for example, I've said, okay, let's lay this out in a row fashion. I don't want it to be centered. I want it to, um, I want it to all be left aligned here. Oh, and, and vertically, I want some, I want it to stretch. Oh, I want it in the center. I want to space, put a space around it. So this demo not only shows you how some of these these features work, but it even shows you the markup you would use in your HTML. Center stretch, center start, um, FX layout column. So the, and these are all available at, um, by the way, at t this one right here. We're going to have a better URL for this. But it's at, and um, Justin, I'll post a URL for your, uh, the viewers if they want after at the end with you. But it's tburleson-layouts-demos.firebaseapp.com. So it's the same demos that, that I'm showing locally here. We have the, the layout fill. Here's one where we're, we're filling the row. Again, flex, flex equals 20. Notice when I click on it, it actually changed the flow direction so you can see what the resizing does to the UI when I'm changing the layout flow. Layout flow row, layout flow vertical or column. Here's one with where we're flex, we're doing an FX flex for each child item, but we're also using a, a layout wrap. So we're saying, hey, if you try to put more items here and they're not gonna fit, wrap it to the next row. 
And then as I, as I change my uh, flex direction to column, to row, these change. Here's one where I have flexed this. I'm saying this one here, this green one should not flex its size at all. This one, I haven't given it a value. That means fill the available space as much as I can. This one says uh, don't grow, but you can shrink. This one says grow to fill the available space. And so you see it just fill the entire space available for that row. Here's our initial, here's auto. So you have all these other preset values. And then you can even do offsets. Like here, I'm saying this particular element should be 66% of the horizontal space available, but I want it to be offset by 15% from, from the left. And at this point, we're not, we're checking out, we're not doing any media queries at this point. We're just using the flex stuff right here, correct? So yes. So what's happening here is, let's, let's go to the, the, the source to show you that real quick. So if we come over here and we come to, this is, this is all in the repository, by the way. So we have our demo app and we have our library of our source code that I'll, I'll show in a few minutes. If we come to our layout stuff as an example, and let's just do, um, what was that last one? Let's do flex attribute values. Let's try this one here. Notice, I'm just saying, here is, I'm using FX layout, and I'm specifying a direction. This is an expression. And then here, I'm saying I want to have this child element here um, adjust its size. FX flex means adjust the size of this child element with respect to the parent container to some expression also. And here, I'm telling it to adjust its size to 60%. If, if I don't put in pixel, then it assumes percentage. Notice developer didn't have to worry about any CSS, any media queries, nothing. It's all handled for them simply by using these directives. And the cool thing about it is to use these directives in the module here. Now we said import the shared module because I'm using uh, Angular 4 shared module. But in Angular 4, I just import, let me go up here. I import flex layout module from at Angular flex layout. Let me close this here and increase the size. That better? Yeah, yeah, perfect. Thank you. Okay, sorry. So here we have the flex layout. And in my module, I'm just going to import it. Just like I'd imported the common module and maybe specific components from material, I'd imported the flex layout module. Once I had imported that module into my uh, own module, then all my views within that module can use the directives from flex layout. So coming back here to our demo, this is an attribute, this is a directive here, FX layout. Here's another one here. Now, developers may go, well, how do I know which directives to use? Well, that's true. If I come back to the docs for a moment, there's, there's a few you'll have to remember, but the big ones are layout and flex. This is for the container. This is for the children in a container. It's pretty simple, right? Pretty easy. And then there's show and hide. Um, in fact, do I have any? So I can sh go ahead. One thing I've learned um, when I was using this uh, engine is you want to favor show and hide over things like ngif because then the engine actually doesn't know about uh, it has trouble like recognizing uh, you know that it needs to show or hide different 
you know, attributes and things like that. So that's one note um, to prefer these these directives here over, you know, just using your standard show and hot or NGF. Well, I would almost um, say that almost sometimes I'd actually say the opposite, Austin, and here's why. Really? Well, if you use NGF, then it, it will compile your template on the fly, right? So it doesn't even create the DOM versus show and hide. It allows everything to be compiled and created. It just sets display to none. Now, so that means that if you want to show it later, it happens really fast, but it also means it's, it's, it's for AOT, it's probably not that big of an issue, right? Because you're doing ahead of time stuff, but uh, for regular dynamic compiles, if your template is sophisticated, you might suffer a performance hit if you did, um, if you didn't use NGF. The other thing is, if you're using an async pipe, sometimes you want to use, um, like with observables, it's really nice to use an NGF to watch to see if the, the uh, async pipe gets an observable value. So where versus FX show doesn't do that. Now where FX show and high and FX hide work really well is with the responsive API. So you'll notice here, I got ahead of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you're, you're talking responsive API, you're absolutely right, right? So the so what we've shown so far is just what I call the static API that you can use regardless of your viewport size and to, to define your layout. However, if you wanted to say, listen, for mobile devices, I don't want the layout to be row. I want it to be horizontal. And let me show you what I mean. If I come over here, let's go to a demo. Uh, let's go to this demo. So this, this is called the Mozilla Holy Grail layout, right? Because the goal here was um, here's your classic layout, a header and a footer. And then the, the content area actually flows left to right with a nav article and a side. But if you shrink it down, you want it to become all vertical layout. And you want the nav to not be on top of article, but you want it, we shifted the order too. So this is an example where we want it, and you can even see part of the API here. We said, hey, our standard layout is row, but for mobile devices, for we want it to be column. And what we figured out with, um, with Angular, with the Flex layout directives, was that we could use this notation, this dot notation, to specify what we call an alias. And that would indicate for, and this alias is associated with a specific media query, and I'll show that in a moment. So for when this media query associated with this alias activates, and that means when the viewport shrinks to that size, and then the browser says, hey, this media query is active now, it's being used, then FX layout gets notified and it will switch its flex direction to column. And then when you leave and it deactivates, that means this one will reactivate because it now this one's turned off. When this one turns on, it will reset it back to row. So watch this. And it happens almost magically just by this API here. The developers didn't have to worry about any of the complexity of um, specifying this, the media queries and watching for breakpoint changes and then doing something. It's all handled for you under the hood by the Flex Layout Engine. So here is when we talked about the API. Let's see here. Um, trying to think where this. And, and you've got a variety of different uh, media sizes there. It's not just the X at X. Not, 
not at all. No. So if we come over here to the responsive API, this is in our docs. So here, this was something that was defined by material design over at Google, the material design team. And they just, they sort of identified a, a set of ranges of pixel or viewport widths that they then associated with specific aliases. So they said, if your viewport is between, and let me increase the font size or the uh, browsers. If your viewport, viewport is between zero and 480 pixels wide, then that can be associated with something they call extra small, right? And they even have this idea of that if, if you're on a handset or a tablet and you're in portrait mode or landscape, but let's just look at desktop for right now. If your viewport width is up to 600 pixels wide, you're still in extra small, but after that up to 840, if you're between 600 and 840, you're in this, what they call the small range. If you're between 960 and 1280 uh, pixels wide, you're in the medium versus the large or the extra large. And what we have done at with the uh, flex layout directives, oops, let's go here, is we've said, let's take our standard static API and let's associate these aliases, extra small, small, medium, large, extra large with um, media query range, pixel ranges. And then we did something more. We added extra ones like less than small, less than medium, greater than extra small, greater than small, and we defined those. So these are all by default available within um, the, the Flex Layout engine. Now, how do you use these? You take the static API, you add a dot, and then you put the alias after it, and then you can say it's equal to some expression or some static value, and it just works. Now, you guys may be asking, okay, wait a minute, how, how does that work? Like, how does this directive, how do we just add a breakpoint here and it just works? So, just, uh, Justin, remember I told you, let's dive under the, under the hood and look at some code? Yes. You want to do that? Yes, please. All right. I, I can see people you know, taking this and going, okay, well, how can I go the next step and start building other CSS solutions with Correct. pattern? Correct. So let's take a look at just the layout one, which is probably the easiest one. So the layout one, uh, let's increase the font size here. Can you guys see this all right? So, you, right, so these are directives, and every directive has a selector. This is the selector that for the static API, which says, hey, if I see, the compiler says, listen, if I see a, in the HTML markup, this FX layout, then I know it's registered as a selector for the layout directive. So it creates an instance of the layout directive. If I see one for XS or SM or MD or any of these, with this, pre, this a, static API part, it says I'm gonna create an instance of the layout directive. Now, this what is something I, I, before we jump in too much. Mm -hmm. This is something that a lot of people, you know, might not realize when you're developing directives and components. You can actually chain various different, you know, uh, selectors together to to initialize the same component like this. And so this that's is, correct. When I was looking at some of this code, I, I, you know, when I look at you know code like this, I often like to learn quite a bit from it. And this is one of the takeaways that I had from it. This was, you know, it's funny, Austin, this was a challenge for us initially, right? Because when we were thinking, I spent about three weeks almost staring at a wall, just thinking about, okay, the static API wasn't a challenge at all. 
But if I, I wanted uh, the, this responsive API, but I wanted it some way to deliver it in the HTML markup that was intuitive to developers, that was super easy to, for them to understand, right? I didn't want to have to them wrap some expression in a function call or anything like that. I wanted it to be as simple to use as possible. And the way we fi I finally clued in on it with some help from, uh, actually from Pascal Precht from ThoughtRam, was um, if we just do this, we can, so this is two things. First, we can use this, if I had, let's say I had uh, FX layout medium and FX layout, then it would create, and I had both of them on the same element. So if I come over here for a moment, let's go to this one. Scroll, scroll in here. I have FX layout, right? I only have the static, but if I had FX layout dot, oops, extra small equals um, column. This is not an expression anymore. It's a static value. It means, you know, it's, it's always going to be there, right? Uh, this one can change based on some property setting I, I, I want. So this, this identifies, for, th for those developers new to Angular, this identifies one-way data binding from this expression into this property. And actually, this, this is a, so what it does is the compiler creates one instance of the, F, of the layout directive, and it updates these two properties within that, for that instance. So let's go back to here. Here's the selectors. Here's the trick. So those selectors, since they're data bindings, I can say they're in, I can use the at input to identify a dynamic data binding, a one-way incoming data binding. And I can say, if someone sets the value to this property, FX layout, then just cache it with this value. And if they set it to uh, like medium here, then cache it with this key. Just cache the value with this key. So I'm just taking these inputs and I'm caching the values, which then means that later when I need to do my actual layout and do my rendering, I can just easily quickly look up from my, my cache registry, my internal sort of re, uh, registry, that the, the appropriate value. Another thing before you move on here, mm -hmm. uh, doing inputs like this with the FX layout, um, this is how you can actually achieve like having a directive and having you know, the name actually initialized some value. So you just decorate at input the name of your attribute and you can achieve that, you know, FX layout dash, you know, whatever that property is and that property initializer. And so you, this way you don't have to have extra attributes to bind to it, et cetera. Right, and to, and to paraphrase that a little bit, notice that this is the property we expect to see on the HTML, but this is the property that the component has. And not only that, it's there's not a, a getter. It's not a public property. It's you can't even read it from this instance. So if you were outside of the instance of the layout directive, the only thing you can do is write to it. So it's a write-only property with that's W R I T E, and it has a totally different name than the property in the HTML. And this is where I think Tobias and the Angular core team really kicked butt. They really thought about, and Igor, they really thought about the, these, these issues, and they created an API that's really, really nice. Austin, anything you want to add to that? No, it's great. Okay. So yeah, now, I think, I think, like, I think it's, a, you know, it's, it's similar. If we build a directive, and we have a selector for our directive, and we say we want to take in other inputs with that directive, right? We would do the same sort of thing. Difference being is that 
what you've done here is you've added to your selectors so that any one of those other inputs would activate the directive. So a user doesn't have to just have the one. It's it's any of these that will activate. It's the any or, and you could have all of them or one, right? And it would still create an instance. And the cool thing is, and it caches these, right? So you don't have to worry about the value for MD overriding the standard static value. They're, they're saved separately until someone else decides, hey, I need to look up the appropriate value and decide what to do with it. So just to show you a little bit more. So we're using this um, idea of this announcer here. Um, we'll skip past that just for a moment. So on ng on changes, this is when this, this fires when your, your, let's come back here. If this expression changes later, after the directive has been instantiated, if this property expression changes, then this property, the data binding fires, and the and then the lifecycle um, events of a directive will run, and we'll get an ng on changes event that comes in. So we check to see, hey, there's someone's telling us there's some been some external changes to this instance of this directive. Um, do we have a value for layout? Right? It, it, are the changes coming in for layout? And if they are, then we want to update. Our, our inline styles with some new with the new direction. Now the other thing we do is we also say, hey, after the initial on on change, we actually have the component will fire another lifecycle event, which is an ng on init. And this one is we're saying we want to actually listen for media query changes because these directives don't actually know about media queries themselves. There's a totally separate media query engine within the Flex layout. And so these guys actually say, I want to listen for media query changes. Here's my key for the um, for layout. The default value is row. And when the media query uh, engine tells me there's a change, like a media query has been activated, call back with this method, which is, again, I'm going to update my direction. And I want to update it with the value. So update direction says, okay, regardless, this, this value, this direction value that came in, notice over here, this was a property, this was a static value. So the, the, if we come back here, this might have been the column, or it could be whatever that expression evaluated to. So we check to see if we have this value, but if we have a responsive active, um, a responsive API, we then say, hey, uh, media query engine, um, I want to use the currently activated media query. And with that media query that's currently activated, I want to look up in my registry the value associated with the currently activated media query. Could be greater than medium, could be medium, whatever, or could be the static one. And then I'll scroll back down here. So what it does is says, okay, grab me that value out of the, using a uh, lookup in the registry and a couple some more logic. And now that I have the, the this, in this case, the value is the, the flex direction. I want to build my layout CSS. So I come over here, I'm gonna get the direction and whether I'm wrapping, I come to here and then I'm gonna build the CSS which says I wanna set. So this is what I meant by flex layout being smart. It takes the direction and whether you want to wrap or not and it builds all this for you. Right, so it has smarts under the hood about what CSS that it should be using. And then it actually 
will uh, validate those values to see if they're an appropriate value or not. And then it will even put prefixers, CSS prefixes on those. So if you're using Safari or Firefox and it needs a different prefix, it will work. And then finally, um, it applies those styles with the appropriate prefixes and everything to the CSS. Now here is something really interesting. Um, let me go back. Let me go back to the HTML here, uh, to the demo. When I change, okay, sorry. When I change the layout, and let's go to the, to the responsive for a moment. When I change this here from row, layout row, see this right here, to layout column, not only does the container ch change its flex direction, the CSS changes, but it has to notify all the children directives that the layout, the flow direction has changed because the flex item, the children items actually have, in some cases, have dependencies on the parent's flow direction. So that's what this code does is it says, hey, if anyone's listening for a change in the flex direction, Tell them what the next, or, or this is your classic um, subject, right? Like it's, I'm dispatching a value to any observers. So the children directives can actually get a reference to this parent um, subject and, and subscribe to that observable uh, or subscribe to that, that uh, subject and get an observable back. And then they can get notified on the fly that the flex direction has changed and they can get the current value for it, which then means that the children properties can update themselves in response to a parent change. Okay, so before you go any further on that, like, I don't know how we get that to sink in because that's like super powerful, right? It's and really I, powerful, right? Really powerful, right? And I, I'm like start thinking like like how close are we then to having something like element queries work in this sort of manner can we pull something off like that with this kind of approach well so this is where we start thinking about um so before i answer that i will say that one of the directions we're going right now is that flex layout has this media query engine and if we look at the source just to show you guys this for a moment and you don't you can use the media query engine outside of uh your flex layout. So you can actually inject the media query engine and, and take advantage of that as well, if I'm correct. You are totally correct. In fact, we have a, um, a service called an observable media that you can inject into any of your components. And I think we have one of these here. Let me take a look. Um, observable. Yeah. Um, you know, let's see here. I actually have to look at the source, so bear with me. Come on. There we go, an observable media. So we, you can inject this in. This is a service provided by Flex Layout Engine. And then you can actually, and it's just a, um, a service that you can subscribe to. And whenever a media query activates, you'll be notified. And you can do whatever you want in response to that change. So in terms of the demos, let's show you that. If I come over here to the responsive, see this right here? So this is a part of the component for this demo. If I resize this, watch, I'm actually just listing out what media query is currently active. If I resize this, notice it changes the medium to small, and it happens very fast. 
And the way it happens is I'm subscribing to a notification from the media query engine saying, let me know when it changes. And then I'm rendering that out appropriately. Yeah, so you can, this is really powerful because you can actually use this to totally change the content on your page based on a media query. So you could have a totally different page for a mobile experience leveraging this very easily. Correct. So if you didn't want to have it in your template, use our directives and you wanted to programmatically make changes to your template, um, you could subscribe to the media query and then do whatever you want very easily. So this actually allows developers to not have to worry about um, the, the nuances and some of the problems with uh, listening for media queries and then uh, uns unlist or unsubscribing. How do you set up a, a, a behavior subject? All that nastiness is handled here for you. Now, the cool thing, Justin, is, and Austin, I think you you know this too, is we're planning on moving. So here is the media query features within Flex Layout. So it has this concept of breakpoints and this match media. And I, I won't go through all this, but here's our providers. Here's our observable media, and here's our observable media provider. Notice it's using these breakpoints that have predefined breakpoints and that are um, registered. And these breakpoints are then used to, um, to register with a window.matchmedia API to actually set up listeners with the, um, with the, um, the uh, WebKit. So what we're going to do is we're going to move a good portion of the media query engine out of Flex Layout, and we're going to put it in the CDK which then means that if anyone is use, can just load at Angular slash CDK and they will have access to an observable media service and a media query engine for all the power and you don't even have to use Flex Layout if you really don't want it. And can you tell everyone really quick what the CDK is? So, um, so right now, Angular Material has sort of broken out some of its features into, I like to call it two sets. One is at Angular slash Material, which are the UI components. But then there's the CDK, which is a lot of, and Austin, jump in here if I don't, if I don't elaborate enough. Um, it's a set of services and um, other features that are available that are not, that are, can be used agnostically and can be used by any developer to develop their own components or their own um, set of services. So there's like the portal um, and the overlay service and all the things that the UI components within Material use, they use it now from the CDK. Yeah, and, you know, it's not if not only if you wanted to like develop your own components, but you know, if you're looking for certain features and you know, you don't want to have to develop like a whole portal uh, directive and provider and all those things just to put, you know, some content at the bottom of your page dynamically, like there's a set of really good baseline tools that allow you to do this stuff very easily without having to dig into Angular and like know like how to do view container, you know, instantiation and, and you know, projecting bindings onto components and things like that. These Correct. tools like handle it automatically for you and it's really powerful and you're gonna see, you know, I think we're planning to, you know, continue to expand those. So you're gonna see things like virtual scrolling and stuff like that land in those tools. And then you don't have to even use material if you're, you know, maybe you just need some, you know, uh, you know, maybe you need 500 rows on your page. Right. <laughs> you could just leverage, you know, some of these tools that are going to be within that CDK to accomplish those. Or like the, 
like the select box drop down that has this dynamic box that shows up and everything for material. Um, something like that would land in there where I don't have to have the material design look of that. I could have my own, but I could leverage right. the logic that that thing does that I don't have to rewrite that, right? Positioning is another one. So um, if you if you think about like tooltip positioning and things like that, you've got collision detection um, and you know how do I position it relatively? Uh, there, there's all kinds of little utilities as UI developers, we often, you know, uh, use and, you know, sometimes write our own or, you know, uh, that type of thing. And th there's tons of these, you know, great tools that are going to be within that SDK. And the cool thing is take, for example, the tooltip, a really simple concept that can be very challenging to implement in a performant manner. So we have the tooltip. It's obviously has a pop-up and it will pop up in a certain area. So it has positioning information and the default tooltip has some simple text. But what if you wanted something like a popover that looked, uh, it, it popped up like a tooltip, but it had complex content, like maybe D3 charts or something. Well, that's not part of material, but with the CDK, you could easily create your own popover using all the same utilities that the tooltip uses. Very cool. Very cool. So now I know we're probably running short on time. Let me show you a couple other things. So I got to give a shout out to Austin. Uh, he reminded me at the, when, when we were setting up for this call um, because it's funny. I was working with him for a bit on this feature and I, I didn't realize the face, right? I, I, I knew the name, but I didn't realize the face. So, but Austin had come up with, he came up with this feature request to have splitters. Right, so we're all familiar with splitters and where you can sort of do resizing. And his, his challenge to the Flex Layout team was, can I have splitters that work with the Flex Layout directives? And I, I just got to give a big clap to Austin because he came up with, um, uh, he first identified a bug where our API didn't support this sort of introspection and, and using the layout API. And, um, well, then we fixed it, and then he created a version of the splitter that was really nice. Uh, and it then it turns out to be very, you know, a lot of times like building these components, you, you have to deal with like the layout and calculating the width and stuff like that. And this, you know, when I s approached this, it was just like, okay, this thing does all that for me. All I've got to do is like, you know, kind of, you know, manipulate the positions of these on the fly. Mm -hmm. And the code was, it turned out really nicely. So, in fact, I have to show a little bit of the code because Austin did such a cool job. I modified it a tiny bit, but it's also available in NGUI. Let me see if I can show um, it, would be in our demo and it would be under the GitHub issue. There's our splitter. So, it would be the split directive. So, the split directive is watching for some child that like a split handle and a split area, right? But what it's really saying is, hey, um, when there's some dragging going on, take if there's a flex directive. So notice I'm actually asking this, this area, this area here, are you managed by, are, is your size managed by a, a, a flex layout API? Is it managed by a flex directive? And if it is, then give me a reference to it. And then give me the current value for like the dimensional value for that directive, right? Is it, and is it a pixel value or is it a percentage value? And then calculate that size and then use this, the splitter because the splitter is dragging, right? So we have a delta 
we have this delta mount, this drag amount. Are you moving left or right in this if you're going horizontal? And so calculate the new size based on the current value, which is this activated value, right? Because activated means it's it, when we say activated, we mean the value that's current based on which media query is active. So this is where the responsive API, you don't have to worry about all that. It's all hidden. It just, this just gets that value for you. And then you calculate the size based on this delta, and then you update the activated value, and it just works just like that. This dragging gets the delta, and it just changes it. And this is applying new CSS Flexbox settings on the fly based on the split drag. So it looks pretty easy, right? Because normally you think, oh, I'm just going to drag and I'll set the width or the height. Well, if you're using Flexbox, you can't do that. You have to set the flex basis and a few other things. So um, this, and what if you're doing it with media queries, right? What if you're in extra small mode or something and you didn't want it to? Um, and what if you're using FX hide and show? So this handles all those issues for you. Yeah, in my implementation, I actually have a, a layout very similar to this and if you're on a mobile device that that left bar just completely disappears and the split handles gone and and you kind of just have that inner content there so it turned out really nice um, it's pretty cool you did a great job with it thank you so there's all these demos are online when we get a github issue we i actually have the team we, we try to make actually a demo that shows the issue and the solution for it right so here's one um, let's do this. So here's one. Notice it says we're gonna um, we're gonna show this on greater than extra small, but by default we're gonna hide it. So that means if I move this down to the size of a mobile, this blue one should hide. See, it hid. So you can have all. And here's one where we're saying show it, but if I'm in medium, hide this one. If I'm in medium, hide this one. So tight two row C. If I'm in medium, look down here. As soon as this changes to MD, these two should be hidden. So I change, there's small, there's medium. Notice those two are now hidden. So there's a whole bunch of elements that are in here that are, are um, still in the DOM, but their display is set to none. And this one's cool. This is the one where you can use the styles and responsively change the style. Look at this. I'm saying if the style, if you're on mobile, set the font size to 16 pixels and do this stuff. But if you're on a medium, make the font size bigger. So watch what happens when I scroll this down a bit. Boom, 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 boom. So I can change colors and font sizes and everything else on the fly with the responsive engine. And then there's some Stack Overflow things like here. You could do this. Like how do you span multiple? If you think of these as a grid, if you really wanted to, how would you span multiple grids and multiple rows? If you want to... Um, do something like this. How would you do that? So this shows, this demo shows how you would do that. So online, we have these demos. And that online version is here at tburleson-layouts. We're going to give it a better, as I mentioned, a better URL. Sorry, everybody. And the source is complete. All of it's available right here in the repository. So if you want to go see how the source works, dive into it. I don't know if we have any more time, Justin, to go into more of the media query engine. If you want me to, I certainly can. It's up to you. Man, I'm a little tempted to. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> you want you, me to show you the breakpoints just briefly? Uh, maybe, maybe we can dive into that yeah, real quick. Um, okay. Why don't we do that if you're willing to? I'm yeah. totally willing. Okay, awesome. so 
breakpoints are an interesting thing, right? Remember, we saw this um, this chart. Oh, this, by the way, on the wiki is a performance considerations where we talk about if you're trying to do this here with a layout extra small and then these, there were some, the, the developer noticed some when he was displaying 500 rows, initially it might take a moment to render. So then this shows, well, how would you then go away from the flex layout directive API of the API and just use your own custom flex box for the table? Remember when I mentioned that? So yeah. on the wiki shows exactly how you could do that as an example. So if I come over here to the responsive API, remember we talked about these um, breakpoints. Oops, yep. make it down one like these. These ranges. If I come over to um, here, notice we have these breakpoints defined. These are hard coded into um, the API. Now, as a side effect to the way the current selectors work. They match the entire selector. So you remember when we, um, we have these selectors. So you have to specify the entire selector. So that sort of means that these aliases are hard coded into the code. It's not like a dynamic lookup of, of a property, right? So since they're hard coded in, what that means is we have specific aliases here, extra small, greater than extra small, all these. And we can define um, breakpoints, a media query range, and associate it with a specific alias. Then we can come into here and we can say, we're gonna have a provider. So if you wanted it, like we even have ones that are not loaded by default, but we have orientation ones too. So these are available in the repository, but they're just not activated automatically. You have to go in and, and uh, into the provider and say uh, you want to use the orientation ones because the orientations have these ideas of, of portrait and landscape, et cetera. So we have these, these, these types here and we have some aliases, right? So we here we have a, um, a media query and then we have a hand. So what this means is you could potentially come into something like, you could say, div, um, let's do div, and then you might say, if you registered these orientations, you could say fx layout, and instead of dot x, xs or extra small, you might want to say handset equal to some expression. So when the media query, when this is um, application is being used on a handset device, then maybe you, you want to say it's, it's going to be, um, it will use a row direction. Or if you wanted to say, but if um, fx layout dot handset dot landscape equal to column, maybe something like that. So you can do this here. The challenge with this is, and I want to tell everyone clearly. So we have these orientation breakpoints, but notice the layout. Sorry, everybody. Doesn't define the handsets properties. So you would have to come in and modify to, to you. And this is a current known issue with Angular 4, and we're hoping to fix this in Angular 5. So if you want your own custom aliases, you have to add those. Either extend this directive with your own directive that then adds the selectors and then adds the inputs. Or 
um, you have to you either extend this or you come in and you modify this. So if you want to use uh, these these types of things, it's not as easy as just registering your own breakpoints and then adding these suffixes. No, you have to make sure the selectors are there. But if you wanted to use programmatically the, that um, media observable media that you inject into the constructor, right? The, that service. This was um, media. This is a media service, an observable media service. If you wanted to use that without these directives, then you could register these, and it would work. It would notify through this service when this media query activates. So you could programmatically respond to any custom um, orientations or breakpoints you want. Did that make sense? Yeah, abs absolutely. I mean, it makes okay. sense to me. Yeah. So, so now we have these breakpoints we've defined. Let's we have these standard ones, and the way it works is the um, media monitor comes along here, says, "Give me the list of breakpoints." and this service called match media. This is the low level service. And what register breakpoints does is it says, okay, I'm gonna go through and sort sort the breakpoints, and then I'm gonna register with match media, I'm gonna register all my queries. Notice it's extracting a list of all the media queries. And what register query does is, this is the lowest level, this is the actual responsive engine, right? This is the lowest level thing that interacts with the window.matchmedia API. It prepares um, a query, it does some things related to, um, well, let me just show you that here. It actually will add a style sheet. There's some, there used to be some bugs related to um, browser quirks. If you, if you didn't have a, a media query register, for that range registered in the CSS, then the match media uh, API wouldn't necessarily trigger and notify you. The listeners wouldn't work. So this takes care of that issue there for you by just adding a, a, a stub reference media query for that range. So then, and then what we do is we come in here and we say build the media query here, and it actually calls match media query match media with the API with the query you've given it. And what comes back is a media query list that has an ad, has methods add listener and remove listener. All this is done for you under the hood. You don't have to worry about adding an event listener and then and and saving the query that's been done. And then how do you then get an, uh, this when the event triggers? How do you transform that to a media a change notification to the rest of the application? The engine handles all that for you. That's probably as much as we want to go into now. The source is there. The specs are there if you want to explore it. Uh, uh, just everyone should be aware that a good portion of this guy is, is um, the goal is to move it into the CDK so you can use it as you wish. Very cool. Very cool. All right. So set out to have this show, this episode, right, and have you come on here and talk about this stuff. and. For me, one of the things I wanted was to find out, like, should I be using Flex Layout? And, and would I make the business decision to add that to my project? And what is the benefits that's going to give me, right? And so let me give you my summary here real quick coming okay, out. Okay, okay. Like, okay, I'm already sold on the fact that it's going to make things easier for me. It's going to make it, the manageability of it better. Um, I'm really sold on the fact that I can dynamically change, you know, um, 
those settings and things like that because now I can programmatically work with these things. So I have this option to add that into the mix, right? So I see mm -hmm. all the power and I'm like, okay, cool, I'm sold. But what really sells me from a business standpoint is the fact that everybody's aggressively looking and thinking about how can we um, you know, extract these elements, these lower level elements and make this reusable with the CDK, with the media query stuff that's gonna come out of there. Like I feel like you have our best interest in mind in how you're developing this platform going forward for us because now I can invest in it. I know the future of it. it's gonna allow me even more and more flexibility to move these pieces out and to really accomplish what I need without having absolute like super proprietary buy-in and that's awesome. Well, what's really cool is sort of the vision in my mind is what if Angular itself was sort of responsive? What if the NGF supported .sm? Right, so you could say, show this this template only if I'm in. So not just show it if the expression is true or false, but show it only if the expression is true and you're in a mobile device. That becomes really powerful, right? We're not there yet, but that would be very cool. Let me let me see if I can find something here for you guys. There was something called Flex. Um, Oh, here it is. This is a service I was shown the other day called Flexitive. So, you know, it's like a little service, but notice as you're changing the viewport size of this component, it's shrinking the font size and resizing the child elements, but it's also even changing the layout order and even the image in the background. Well, this can all be done with flex layout really from a program from a developer's perspective really easy and the best thing about it the whole goal of it was the following um then this is what i love about it right so if we come over to let's just come over to any of these like um um here the work that the developer has to do is in the html so making your templates responsive means that you don't have to go to the program programmatic to the imperative code. You can go to the declarative HTML and specify, you know, your settings here. And if you're using expressions, of course, then you might have to have properties down on your component, but it just becomes super easy. Oh, you remember that little footer that we had here in our demo, which is here, this little on here, this footer here. That was reused in a whole bunch of places. That's the this little custom component I created called BD Query Status. Notice it has some just a div, and it has this what is the activated media query right here? It's just a string. But look what I do: I inject the observable media in, and then I watch it. I subscribe, and then if it changes orientation, then I'll just set a value, like I'll build a string. So I'm building this string on the fly based on information coming in via that service. So there's a whole bunch of power. You can do things declaratively. You can do them imperatively. Uh, we're going to be extending it. So right now, Material does not use Flex Layout, and that was intentional uh, because we didn't want to have a, a, a dependency on developers who are using Material that they'd also have to use Flex Layout. So the components within Material are using Flexbox, but it's it's handcrafted custom C CSS. 
just be aware of that. So if you're using material components and you're composing your own custom component, you totally can use flex layout on top of your own components that are using nested child uh, children material components. Not a problem. Just know that inside material, they're, it, they're using their own um, CSS, Flexbox CSS. Cool. That was awesome. That was awesome. This is great. You know, I've I've built some pretty intense um, applications using this, so I can attest that like it it actually does what it says, and it you know it's for building real world stuff. It's not just you have these you know nice demos and and we can make it look cool. You can build real world serious things that is very challenging to do, and you have to. You know, not only does it take a lot of time, but a lot of knowledge, and so this this like really makes it so much easier uh, to get involved and start using Flexbox and and making your sites you know responsive and etc. So huge kudos. Thank you, thank you. Uh, it wouldn't have been possible without Angular four, right? The what the the way they structured the core engine, uh, they just they really did it right. I mean, we have things we have to improve on but they really did the core foundation right and it's it just turned out really well and the cool thing is right you don't have to use um flex layout if you want to use css grid you can do that now here's what i challenge developers out there and maybe austin and i and maybe justin maybe we'll do it right i challenge a developer out there to create a version of at angular slash constraint css layout and which is an order of magnitude more difficult to do because it has to use these rules and it has this rules engine and parser and all that. So there would have to be an AOT component to it. But that's on my radar for the next, like that, if you guys think uh, flex layout is the bomb, constraint-based layout is really the bomb. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be pretty amazing to get to that. Anyway, I could talk about it for a while, I guess. But it, well, I'll be presenting um, a different version, um, some of this and a, some slides and a whole bunch at Angular Connect. So if you guys are there, we'll, we'll just have to hang out and have a beer. And um, people, if they want to know more about it, come and talk to um, Austin, who's got hands-on work with it, and or corner me or any of the guys from the material team. We'll, we'll, we'll sit and chat. Cool. And you know, all you mentioned the other friendly URL for the um, examples and stuff, but all of that stuff can be found if you just go to the repo for it. There's links That's to all correct. that stuff. So I mean, just people just go to the repo for at Angular slash flex layout dash layout, and you're going to get to all that stuff. In fact, go to the wiki, and on the sidebar there are links to the, the the Plunker templates, the online demos, all that is available. I think I go to the wiki like two twice a day at least. Oh, really? Okay. Well, if you find bugs, let me know or problems, right? Ping me, ping me on Slack and go, Thomas, we got to fix this. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I forget some of the properties. Like, uh, I mean, there's so many options, right? And once you're getting into some more complex layouts, like I'm always like, what was that property again? Or what, what break point do I need to hit at this point? So, uh, the documentation is really good and where it's lacking, the demos are, even more powerful, but I'm more of a jump into the code kind of person. Docs are hard, right? I mean, writing material, we know docs are really hard to do well. They're I, not I, fun I, either. <laughs> they're, and they're not fun, right? They're, they're, they're a duty that we have to the community to write. 
And it's funny because whenever developers get online and they complain about the docs, it's like, oh, you don't know the pain that we suffer for trying to create good docs for you, right? Or the angst we have when we're trying to avoid, or don't make me write docs. Now, I should tell everyone there's one caveat to CSS Flexbox. Whether you're using Flex Layout or not, if you're going to column mode and you're nesting column containers within column containers, you may find that your browser isn't doing laying it out the way you expect. There are laying out in column mode is very difficult for browsers, and there are workarounds. You will find the same problems in flex layout that you would if you hand coded it. So just be aware that when you're trying to go to column mode, you may have to put like a fixed wrapper around it, a div wrapper, and um, we're aware of it. I, there's no easy solution to it, so just have to be aware of that. All right, cool. All right, well, let's uh, put a bow on this thing and, and call it good. <laughs> okay. Well, we really appreciate you taking all the extra time. <laughs> I'm going to go drink some wine that now. I'll tell you what. <laughs> all right, well, let's get some picks in if we got any. Do you have oh, any yeah. picks, Thomas, for us? I'm going to let you go first because I think we probably have the same pick. Austin might have it too, but uh, let, let's <laughs> let you all have say. the same pick. <laughs> probably, but that's fine because this thing's epic. So, Justin, Thomas, I'm going to let you take it away. I'm not going to steal your thunder. You and I have the same one. You go ahead because we love it. You go for it. All right. All right. Well, I, I think I don't know what Austin's is, but uh, stackblitz.com. <laughs> stack oh, yeah. That was mine too. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's the good one. <laughs> this thing just dropped on the world yet. Yeah, it was yesterday. I think it was yesterday. Um, let's pull it up real quick. You want to. Thomas, can you pull it up real quick? Yeah. Let me do that. In fact, I'm going to show a little demo. Of, um, so Dominic Elm at ThoughtRam is creating a blog article on writing games with observables. And um, the reason that I want to show this, so we did a snake game using, it's a reactive game, right? And um, let me go here real quick. Today is this one. There it is. I like how he organizes his bookmarks by day. You know why? Because I am the worst at having all the bookmarks. I never want to close them until I get 50 and then my browser dies and then I have to save them. But how often do we go back and look at our, our saved bookmarks, right? Okay, so this is something, a huge shout out to Dominic. So this one here, I'm using keyboard and this is working live, right? So I just said create. I went over to... Um, here and you can create an angular app online like you could think of it as a code pen right or a plunker or whatever but this is so easy you just click on it and it automatically and it's super fast look at that that's a hello angular 4 app and there's my application a shell that i've done here's my dependencies i can add more npm packages external resources this is the bomb this this is this is bitchin yeah, it's it's pretty intense. I mean, all the stuff that they built and and pulled off to run this thing in the browser. I mean, again, we we've seen this with Plunker and CodePen and stuff like that. But um, there's some other things like bringing in libraries and things like that are pretty slow. Oh yeah, this this is actually I I think I read VS Code's editor here. Yeah, look at this. You can come to the command palette. I just right clicked on this. Go to the command palette, and you can see all. I think these are all uh, the same commands you have in VS Code. Yeah. And, you know, so there's indenting, moving, folding. Um, it's 
like if you forget, let's do uh, um, take. I, I took out take, and there's, let me find it here. Here's, there we go, there's my take. Here's a take, and it's going to complain that I have a problem. Let's refresh. Look at that. It complained that I have a problem if I hover over it. Right, so even though this is, let's call it beta, they're already pretty damn good about it. So if I come up here and I just add my take back in, I can refresh my app loads and my it's running now. Notice this isn't even an Angular app. This is just TypeScript with some wrappers, right? It has these dependencies, RxJS, core. It's super easy to create this. Yeah, it's it's pretty killer. It's uh, uh, definitely our pick, everybody's pick. <laughs> blew on the scene and was like, whoa. So check it out, stackblitz.com. You know, uh, ThoughtRam is doing the, um, their own sort of environment for, for um, artificial intelligence, right, for, for labs, for AI, for deep learning and uh, machine learning. And they have something called machinelabs.ai that, that they're in a beta on right now. It's a similar type of approach. So they we're very familiar with how hard it is to create an environment like this online that's fast and responsive. And I mean responsive to the user interactions. Uh, so total kudos to Stack Blitz. Yes, and and you know, funny you should mention that the machine stuff because uh, we're gonna have an up a coming episode with them on here. Pascal's gonna come on and, and talk about it and kind of demo it. So that's a Ooh. good segue to the end of our show. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, Stay I tuned for more. it. I have another pick. Oh, you okay, do. So Austin, get your get your pick in. Let let me stop sharing. How do I do that? Did you stop sharing? Yeah, yeah. Just stop sharing. I okay. Cool. I already unpinned you. Okay. So, cool. Another thing that came out, <clears throat> it was uh, not too long ago, um, Microsoft got Node.js to run on iOS. Um, I don't know if anyone's seen that, but that, that is like madness right there. And then also there was a blog article put out um, by Stephen Flynn about the state of CSS and Angular. And if you're working on any... Um, Angular projects and you're using CSS pretty extensively in the view encapsulation and you have questions about that This kind of addresses some of that and where it's going. So Two other ones very cool. I think I have a bookmark for that blog. and I was meaning to read it Does it refer to deep operators Austin? Yep, it goes into the deep operators funny enough. I was like that same day that um, Later that day I was having or that morning I was having an issue with deep operators and then he published that blog later that day. And I was like, this is exactly what I was looking for. <laughs> yeah. Because they're not documented very well, right? Like why do you need a deep operator? Why is it deprecated? And what are the scenarios? And, and when you run into it, it's so painful, isn't it? Yeah. You have no idea what's going on. It's like, why is this not working? <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Well, that sounds good. Um, good picks, and uh, thanks again for the show. Thanks, Thomas, for coming on. Really appreciate you taking the time to uh, share all this stuff and extra time overtime. This is going to be our longest show ever, which is <laughs> epic. So, thank you very much. You're welcome. I, it was my pleasure, and you, I should have warned you. I'm a chatty Kathy. I don't think our viewers mind. Um, I certainly don't mind. We got plenty of content. It's great. Um, I hopefully it'll help everybody out and. Uh, very cool. Thanks, All right. Well, thanks again for coming on. Appreciate see, it. 
see you soon. All right. And all Austin, right. pleasure. And we'll see everybody next week. All right. Later. All right. Bye-bye.